Amen. So good to see everybody this morning. Uh, I love the 10 a.m. It's always uh, packed out, and so we're always thankful for that. Um, and so I just appreciate you guys, especially all of you who come every week and sit in a folding chair. So we're just honored and, and so, so thankful that you would continue to come back and do it again every week. And so uh, we love you guys for that. Um, today, I want to um, end this service with a time of prayer. And I want to do it in a way, no, normally, we, you know, we have an 8, 30, 10, and an, an 11, 30, and so time is, is a factor for us. But I want to end today, if possible, with a time of prayer where you can come forward and let us pray with you. Uh, I believe it's one of the most important things we can do as a church is to pray with you um, in, in, a, in a strong way. Um, a lot of times I, I, I will blanket a prayer, and um, that is for the sake of time only. So I, I believe it's important. It's who we are as a church just to be able to pray. And so I just kind of want, want your mind going there and thinking about that possibility throughout the message. Um, I've orchestrated this to where I, I've, I've condensed the message down to give us some time to be able to do that, that this morning. So we've been in a series called Overwhelmed, and so for the past two weeks, this being our third um, we've been in this series about being overwhelmed. We started talking about our thought life. Last week we talked about uh, being full of hope and what it means to be hopeless. And so today we're going to continue this series, and I'm just going to talk uh, from the book of Hebrews. And so if you want to go to chapter 11, you got your Bible with you, you want to go ahead and turn there, that would, would be uh, great. We could spend a, a lot of our time in talking about being overwhelmed and try to do that in a very practical way. We could do a lot of, of hands-on type things with you, and, uh, but at best it would be theoretical or unpredictable. Uh, some of those examples might, might be we could recommend a, a great book from a great author, and books are great, and we're thankful that God uh, gave us great, great writers. I could connect you with some financial coaches or some financial investors to try to alleviate some of the financial pressure of your life. I could encourage you to make changes in your home that would create more peace. And um, I could sit down with you and try to carve out time on your schedule to try to give, a, again, just a sense of peace about what you're doing every minute of your day. However, None of these options really matter unless we address the cyclical spiritual issue that causes us to be overwhelmed. And I really believe with all of me that there is a part, a spirit man in us who is longing connect, to connect to the Father. And when we bypass that and we try to go to a book or to a counselor or to a financial advisor. And again, all of those things are great. But when we try to bypass it completely, we're cheating ourselves entirely of being able to overcome these feelings of being overwhelmed. God wants us to come to him. He even says, those of you who are weary, come to me and I will give you, you rest. He, he wants it. He longs for it. You're designed to go to God when you feel overwhelmed. The essential issue of an overwhelmed life is found in our tendency to value and follow our feelings over our faith. That whatever the emotion is for that particular moment in time, it becomes so big and grand and it's so present. 
in our lives that it becomes the obvious thing that we should follow. But it takes a very mature follower of Christ to battle those innate feelings and go with faith in God and say, I'm going to choose to follow in faith rather than my feelings. It takes a very mature person. So in Hebrews chapter 11, I just want to cover two heroes of the word who chose to keep their eyes on the promises and not on the problems. And so we can do this too, and it will be the first and most important step in our rescue from an overwhelmed life. So let's take a look this morning quickly at what functional faith actually looks like. Last week we, we brought up a, a scripture that's very relevant. We've all me memorized it. We've talked about it for a long time. Jeremiah 29 and 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now last week when we talked about hope, my, my point of bringing up this, this uh, particular verse was that uh, hope and a future go together, that you can't possibly be excited about the future when you don't have hope. Hope and future are in tandem. And this morning, though, I want to back that up, and I want to focus just on the first part, and it says this, for I know the plan. And this has to be an origin of our faith. It has to be the starting point to something great in our lives for us to really get cognitively that God knows this plan. He's got the plan for your life, and he knows it, and there has to be an element of rest in that, that God knows the plan, and that's encouraging to me. So I want to go to Hebrews 11 and verse 7, and I want to, I want to talk about Noah briefly, and then I'm going to move on to Abraham. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says this, It was by faith that Noah built a boat to save his family from the flood, and he obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. We've all been on the planet long enough to know that a storm will, will come. It is a normalcy of life. We can normalize it. There's going to be a storm. They come and they go. Some are stronger than, than others. Some seem to be a light rain, and some seem to come with a lot of thunderclapping. Sometimes they, it, the storm lasts so long that floodwaters come. But ultimately, we know the storm will pass. And so when a storm comes, we have the opportunity to stand there and face a wall of water or to face it inside a boat given by the instruction of God. Faith can reveal what we need to do in the time of, of a storm. When God came to Noah and he said, listen, there's going to be a storm. And what I, I, I want to do, I'm paraphrasing here. What I want to do is I want to prepare you for it. I want to give you a plan. And if you follow the plan, you will be prepared for the storm. Nothing has changed. There will be storms in all of our, our lives. God wants to prepare you so that when the storm comes, you have followed the plan and you are prepped for it. It's time to stop striving and start listening with anticipation what the plan of God is for our lives. When I bring up the word strive, and I've thought about this for three days now, when we talk about the word strive, in my mind, I get an image. And the image is of a person who's been thrown into water and that person cannot swim. Striving to me has an image of flailing and kicking and, and trying to to thrust your body up out of water 
just to grasp one more breath in terms of surviving. It is, it is a survival mode. I just need to make it one more moment. Maybe you're here this morning and your whole day has this feel to it, a striving. I, I get up and my first goal is to just get everyone in this home ready and out the door. Just get people gone. Let's just get to school and to work. Let's try to do that peacefully. And then you do your thing, whatever it is. You go through the elements of being a student, or you go through the elements of being a CEO, or you go through the elements of being a doctor, or an educator, or a business owner, and you go through all of these, all of the stuff that you have to do, only hoping to survive, to make it through dinner, a few hours with, with your family, and into bed, and hopefully at that point you say, I made it another day, flailing, trying to keep your head above water. But God wants to give us the blueprint to the ark. He wants to give us the battle plan for Jericho. So instead of striving and worrying and flailing, we need to tune in and listen to the plan of God, for he knows it, and he knows how it, it all ends. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 tells us this. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength, new strength. Strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Instead of a life of fear and tension, we can choose a life of faith and revelation. And we should make no mistake, it is a choice and we have to choose faith. Okay? I want to talk to you about Abraham for just a moment. If you jump one, one more verse in that same chapter, Hebrews 11 and 8, it says this. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Abraham left what was known for the unknown. But he always focused on the promise that he would get, not the problem that he would face. And so often we are overwhelmed because we have stopped following God. That at some point in our life we were completely on track, full of zeal, wanted, hungry to be right in the middle of the plan that Jeremiah 29 gives. God, that's what I want. I want to give my life's energy to it. I want to intuitively and intentionally be a part of the plan of God for my life. And somewhere along the way, we stop following, okay? Now, we all see Abraham, and we know this particular chunk of it. We've, we've known it since we were kids. If you grew up in church, this is the definable moment of Abraham, to be the one who followed, to go to a city whose maker and builder was God. It defines him as a man of faith, a patriarch of faith. And we identify with him. You know, we say, that's great, and we applaud Abraham. That's fantastic, Abraham. But one verse and one part of this story of Abraham's life, we've quickly bypassed. And this is where I want to spend the rest of my time this morning, is going back to the page that we quickly went through. Because it's not that story that you want to tell a child and, and them immediately know with, a maturation of faith. I get this story. So we've, we've gone by it because it's easier to teach about Abraham following and doing. As adults, it doesn't become the most inspirational or motivational story to us, so we've passed it, it, it all, all over. 
But I want to go there this morning and, and show you what, what, what happened before Abraham went to Canaan. Okay? So, I want to go to Genesis chapter 11. And this is where it all started. And I want to read verse 27 through 32. This is what it says. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran, the father of Lot. And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur, in the land of his birth. Verse 29. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. The name of Nahor's wife was Micah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Micah and Iscah. Verse 30. Sarah was childless because she was not able to, to conceive. We all know this part. Verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Verse 32, Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Okay? Let me explain this story. Let me give you a context. Is it possible, looking at this verse, at these five or six verses that I've just read, is it possible that Terah was the one who received the initial vision to go to Canaan? That it wasn't Abraham, it was Terah, his father. We see he gets them all together, he's wanting to go, but something happens in life, his son dies. His son's name is Haran. So he starts the process of a grieving father. He's going to obviously struggle with it because that's what our humanity does. We love people. We miss people. We hate death and separation. He's going through those processes, but he still chooses to get his family going. We're going to leave Ur, and we're going to Canaan. And here's the ironic thing. Somewhere... Between Ur and Canaan is a city called Haran. It's only one letter different than the name of his son. So he pulls into this town called Haran, and in two verses it tells us the outcome. He settles there, and he dies there. And so you have to imagine, I'm paraphrasing, this could even shift into Kevinology here. At some point, maybe he's having this conversation and he says to himself, I like this city. I don't know. It's, it's, it's the people. It's, it's, the, it's the landscape. It's the, 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 the name. I like Heron. I love Heron. I'm going to stay here. And at some point, the zeal for following and the passion to be in the plan dissipates due to the storm. And he stops following. And we see here a big pattern that is carried on from the garden to, to today's generation. And we've seen it unfold in every generation in between. And it's this. It reveals this pattern. In verse 28, it says, Heron died. So the death of a son becomes the birth of depression. 
The death of a son becomes the birth of a problem. The death of a son bears the weight of heaviness. Overwhelmed. I've lost my son. And the permanence, the finality that comes with that and how it comes down hard on our heart. And so with the same heart that we're going after, God is broken due to a physical circumstance. So verse 28, Haran dies. Verse 31, he settles. And verse 32, he dies in Haran. There's a point in all of our lives where we have to choose to get from Ur to Canaan, we got to get to Haran. And you're either going to settle there and you're going to die there and it's going to be a place of permanence or Haran is going to be a place that you just passed through and got stronger because you went there. We have to choose. Is there a settling in our overwhelmed? Are we stopping? Are we slowing? Are we losing zeal? Are we backing up? Are we deciding to look around and normalize the, 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 the landscape of being overwhelmed and, and just say, this is not as bad as I thought it was. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just stay a while. I'll just, I'll just camp. All. Let's, let's, just, let's just take a moment. Let's catch our breath. Let's just wait it out. Let's build a home. Let's fill it with furniture. Let's make a life here. And he settled there. And he died. This story was becoming generational. So once Terah dies in his sorrow, the Lord renews the vision for Canaan in Terah's son, Abraham. We can read it in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, So the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. God steps in to a family that had halted, that had ceased, and he reminds them, it's not over. I know the plan. And the plan was to get you to Canaan, not to see you settle and die in Haran. So I want to reiterate today that we have a choice. You can choose to follow the feeling, or we can choose to follow by faith. If you want, hear me, you can die in the memory of your abuse if you want to. It's your choice, and you get to make it. If you want, you can settle down into the criticism of your criticizer. If you want to, you can settle in the hard soil of your past, your parents' divorce, or your colossal mistake. You get to choose. If you want to, you can listen to everyone in the boat telling you to just relax. There's no need for you to get out. There's no need for you to walk on water. Or you can pack your bag and get out of Heron. You can see it for what it is, a moment, something in passing, a season, a time span. But if you settle... You'll die there, and you'll try to take everyone who loves you with you. Some of you think you came to church to get new orders, and I, I realize this is heavy. I knew it would be coming into the weekend. You think you came here this morning to get new orders. God, I'm going to go to church, and I just need your permission. I, I need it to be admissible. 
that I can do this or that. I need you to permit me to do something. But listen, there are no new orders. There's only standing orders. Get to Canaan. See, Haran doesn't forfeit the plan. Only we can forfeit the plan. God knows it, and he had it orchestrated before you drew your first breath. He saw you in the womb and knew what he was going to do with you. The plan doesn't forfeit based upon the storm or the flood or the battle or the death of someone we dearly love. It's just a heron that we're supposed to travel through onto Canaan. Let me end with this, then I want to pray with you. Isaiah chapter 42 tells us something really great. He says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed. God, I've had about all I can take. I'm, I'm, I'm on my last leg. I'm hanging on to the end of the rope. And some of you think God is after you. But hear me. Hear the sweetness in his voice from the book of Isaiah. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Okay? He's not... He's not going to end it. He's not, he's not going to be the final one to just snap you in half. Isaiah 59 says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. And one of my favorites, Amos chapter 3. Listen to what this says in verse 12. As a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites be rescued. It sounds strange. This verse sounds foreign. Just leave, leave that up for them. But watch. There, this book of, of Amos gives us a clue. It shows us about a shepherd fighting for the life of a lamb, and it's too late. So after he's killed this lion... The only thing left of what he loved was two leg bones and a piece of an ear. But what Amos is telling us today is, listen, that's enough. And you may be here this morning completely overwhelmed by something. And if you could define it, it would come down to just the leftovers. Just... Lord, all, all, all that's left of this marriage is two legs and the piece of an ear. All that's left of, of who I used to be was two leg bones and a piece of an ear. And God is saying, that's all that I need. Because when you are working with the creator of the world, he can speak anything into existence. And he can take the remains the crushed, the bruised reed, the smoldering wick, and he can bring it back to life again. So I, I, I want you to stand with me all across the room this morning, and I want you to just bow your heads, and I want to just talk to your heart for just a second.